She is a stand-up comedian. She's a podcaster. She is a mother. My fear is that we are raising a generation of weenies. How do you get fired from 22 jobs? Well, hey, everybody, it's Dr. Phil, and you're on Phil in the Blanks. Of course, you know that. And get ready for a really good and informative time today. You know, I love to talk to people who have a different point of view than I do. Boy, is that the truth today, because I'm talking to Christina P. Now, first off, she is a mother, and she's a mother of two young, savage boys. Now, that's her term, not mine. I'm not judging her children. (laughs) But she is a stand-up comedian. She's a podcaster. And you probably saw her one-hour special on Netflix, Christina P., Mother Inferior. This was back in October 2017. Rave reviews isn't a big enough term to describe it. And it was brilliant, insightful, irreverent, but so true. She had a second half-hour special The Degenerates. It was shot in Las Vegas a year later and streamed on Netflix as well. And her latest special, Christina P. Mom Jeans, which premieres globally on Netflix on Mother's Day this year, May 8th. So you want to mark that down and watch it because it will change your point of view. It will give you permission to say what you think but don't want to say. The comic and proud mother has prepped another real intimate look into the life of modern motherhood, and she's here to talk about that and more. So, Christina, thank you for being here. I am so honored, and thank you for what you've done for people your entire career. And I also want to thank you for the book Life Code. I read it in my 20s, and it changed my world, and now I don't trust anybody that works for me. <laughs> I've ruined you. <laughs> you And I love it, so thank you. Well, you probably, like me, were raised to give people the benefit of the doubt, which I think is total Ugh. crap. Why would we do that, particularly in our transient society? And I'm not a pessimist at all. In fact, quite the opposite. I'm an optimist. But Why wouldn't we gather data before we make a decision about somebody? I agree. I think so many things you're taught in life are out of politeness and I think with good intent, but it's really not practical. And you have to unlearn all these things. Um, But I think in in relation to motherhood, so I'm an older mom. I gave birth to my first kid when I was 38. So I'm a Gen Xer. I grew up in the 80s. I was a latchkey kid. Yeah. Um, and then I, I had children and I was like, oh, oh people have peanut allergies now? What? <laughs> what? How did this happen? Yeah. And it happened because uh, pediatricians believed somewhere in the 90s that if we stop giving kids peanuts, they will not develop allergies. But what happened is they did because we didn't expose them. Yeah. And, and my fear is that we are raising a generation of weenies. So this special, I'm, I don't pull, any, pull back on, at all. I'm over it. I, I'm convinced that cancel culture is over, or rather, I've decided it. I don't care. <laughs> well, listen, I can't, I'm I can't hold my so tongue anymore. glad to hear you say that. I'm done. Well, you have a podcast, which is your mom's house, that you host with Tom Segura, and people, I'm sure, know who Tom is. He's brilliant and has given himself permission to say everything just like you do. 
And you just said you think we're raising a generation of weenies. I'd like to talk about that. What do you yeah. think about this generation we're <laughs> raising right now? Because, listen, I've been really spending a lot of time digging into this issue. And in colleges right now, having these safe space rooms oh, for kids God. when they don't like the election results, complaining about teachers that are asking them to take positions, yeah. advocating issues they don't agree with so they can learn the other side's point of view, and they go complain about it. I'm like, are you kidding me? Well, they cry about it. I heard there's a puppy room. I don't know if I heard this on your show. That's not a rumor. I have verified that. I don't know what they did with the puppies afterwards. They probably have puppy <laughs> SD or something. I don't know. <laughs> puppy. Well, the puppies need therapy. That's right. We're not talking about the rights of the puppies. But what do you think about these kids in this generation? It does seem to me like our job as parents and educators is to prepare children for the next level of, of life. Course. And I don't think we're doing that. I don't think we are either. I think there's this, uh, what is it? Anti-fragility. Isn't that what we want? We want them to be anti-fragile. And let me tell you, I, I've been in therapy, and I don't think that everything that's happened in this generation is necessarily bad. I think it's great that we have feelings and that we are acknowledging feelings and difference, and people from marginalized parts of society feel that they belong. I think that's lovely. But now what? You know what I mean? Let's yeah. get on with it. And after being, uh, I've, I've seen a therapist for a decade to work through my own issues before I became a mother. And I asked her one time, what's the one thing that determines whether or not someone pulls themselves up and out and gets on with life? And she told me resilience. Resilience. Yeah, good word. But I think you have to learn resilience by having to exercise your resilience. If you don't have to bounce back, because somebody's there to dust you off and pick you up every time, that's not going to happen. Listen, your mom may think you're precious and cute and wonderful, <laughs> but when you get out in the competitive job market, your boss does not think you're precious and cute and wonderful. They just don't. If you don't learn that, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Well, my good. Thankfully, my my mother didn't think I was precious and cute. She was quite a beast, <laughs> so I think she made me tough. Um, um, but uh, and also, I worry about parents because I think the the expectations are very high on us. You know, um, I go to the playground, and that's me time. You know what I'm saying? Like I have a beer, I chill, I let yeah. my kids run wild, and. I see helicopter parents like just going crazy. Like, ha you ever see the parent that like narrates everything the kid is doing? Like, oh put your God. foot on the thing. Good job. Good job. And you're like, what are you doing? How's that? How are these kids going to learn to play, to fight, to make up, to what are the parameters of social behavior? I think we need to leave them alone. And over scheduling, I'm seeing a ton of that. I've, I have a kindergartner and people are asking me, well, what activities is he in? I go, what are you talking about? He's going to pick up a stick. He's going to throw a rock into the creek later. And we're going to make brownies. Th those are the activities. Yeah. What activities? A kindergartner. Should he be in team sports and speaking five languages already? Like, it, it just, I don't know. Seems a lot. Yeah. You said there are some good things happening. I met with a focus group of 40 kids recently, 20 on the left and 20 on the right politically. I saw a lot of this fragility you're talking about, but I also yeah. saw such smart, 
bright. These kids were so informed. They had such great minds. And I thought, why are we wasting this with everybody gets a trophy bullshit? Well, and here's why, and I was talking about this on, on this show a while ago. Why, what is it? Why do we cringe at the participation award? People like us who didn't have them growing up. And I think it's because it makes you feel pitied, right? Like, you know you lost. You know you lost. And then someone gives you a fake-ass trophy, and it's like, what F you? I know it. Let me, let me lick my wounds, and let me gather my druthers, and I'll be back next time, and I'll show you. I want to put a brick in it. You know, you, you, have, you have to lose. You have to lose. It's part of learning. And doesn't that cheapen it when you really do win? That, that's true. I mean, it really does. It cheapens it when you really do win. I played football in college, and I remember one time in a scrimmage we were having in front of a lot of people, the coaches could be on the field. I was playing linebacker at the time, and this coach comes running onto the field, jumps into the middle of the pile, grabs me by the face mask, and I had like eight scratches on my face because his <laughs> claws came through the face mask, yeah. yanked me up and said, McGraw, do better, and threw me <laughs> back down in the pile. And I'm laying there looking up at the sky thinking, um, yeah, dog. could you be a little more specific? Because <laughs> I don't want you coming back. Do you want me to run faster, jump higher, hit harder? <laughs> could you be a little more specific? If a coach did that today, I guarantee you they would charge him with assault. Oh, yeah. Canceled. Done. I just looked at it like, I need to do better, figure it out. I'm side-eyeing <laughs> this guy during the next play. Nobody even thought anything about it. So the guy's motivating you. What's the big deal? And, and are you traumatized? Or did you grow up to become one of the most beloved, successful uh, people in, in our culture? So, so what did it do? In the locker room, we laughed about it till we were sick. They were coming over saying, McCraw, do better. <laughs> throwing me up against the locker. And we better. laughed about it. And I saw the guy in the parking lot leaving afterwards, and he was saying, you know, you finally woke up out there. And I said, yeah, coach, it's, <laughs> you're a great mentor. Thanks, man. He's slapping me on the back. He has no idea that he ran out in front of all these people and scratched my face up. We were friends for years. There was no big, come on, get over yeah. yourself. You know, and it's just like, it's just like this offended culture. I don't buy that people are as offended as we claim. That a st it's a small minority of people that are setting the tone for this. Because I tour the country, I do all the states, I go everywhere, and I don't buy it. And I don't think people are as fragile, and I don't think people are as offended as we think. I'll tell you what I do think. I think people are afraid to speak up because they yep. don't want to be next. They don't want to have their yeah. turn in the barrel next because they say something and this vocal minority starts putting all of these labels on them from racist to misogynistic, all of these bad labels. You know, oh, I don't want the mob after me. So people don't say anything. They know. And then that small minority takes over. And that's, that's scary to me. Yeah. And I think we got the tail wagging the dog now. Yeah, I think so. That's the problem. I'm over it. Um, you know what I think is so funny too, Dr. Phil, is that the uh, like I grew up watching cartoons like Bugs Bunny and Woody Woodpecker and all the old school Disney, 
And now when you turn on like any cartoons, there's warnings like <laughs> for, like somebody's smoking a cigarette, the caterpillar and Alice in Wonderland. And you're like, well, OK, so if your kid says, what's the caterpillar doing? You go smoking and it's a bad habit. Don't do it. The d end of story. They can't even see crazy like, OK, so what happens when they go in the world and a coworker smokes or they go travel and they're going to just be shell shocked by life? The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. And I get it. Look, we want to model good behavior for our children, but I heard a preacher the other day, they had a clip of him on the internet dogging on the Smurfs. Get out of town. Because the Smurfs have magic, and magic oh. is evil, <laughs> and evil is anti-Christian. And so they were right. saying, parents, don't let your children watch the Smurfs. Now, let me tell you, I can list a couple of hundred thousand problems we have before I get to the Smurfs using magic. <laughs> Same. I mean, really? Same. Yeah. Seriously? Same. I see a lot of people starving to death. I see a lot of people <laughs> shooting each other in the back of the head. I see a lot of problems I would invest time in before I got to Papa Smurf. Yeah, I'm not too worried. And I grew up on him. And I actually, the Smurfs stood for a lot of good things too, right? Kindness, community, yeah. um, fighting against evil. I don't know why these are not good forces. And also, it makes me laugh too because, like, um, you know, there's a million genders now, <laughs> which I guess is good in some way too. But you're just like, I don't. Well, anyway, there is a there's this thing. I live in Texas now. I live in Austin. Um. And I grew up in Los Angeles, so I'm experiencing a vast culture difference, and I'm really enjoying a lot of it. Cause like, yeah, in LA, people are like, "There's no such different. There's no such thing as gender. It's all a construct." I'm like, "Really? Have you raised boys? Because I, girls and boys are not the same. I've never seen a six-year-old girl pee out a campfire. <laughs> yeah. That is." uniquely something i see you know my three and six-year-old boys are naked right now on the driveway in cowboy boots like that's that's real and and one of them's farting on me later like that's oh so they wanted to have a uh, pride parades in kindergarten <laughs> really cool here yeah and i was like okay I, I understand the um the inclination of like we should teach kids about difference and and all that do kindergartners have an awareness of sexuality and and what that is and i think kids are different and they come to awarenesses at different times but i can tell you like you i'm from texas we have a home in la and we have a home in texas everything from covid on down when i'm in texas it's like there was never a pandemic yeah i know it's the best here you come here and yeah. the shopping centers are full, the yeah. restaurants are full, everybody's going on about their life, and in California, everything is shut down. People are wearing biohazard mm -hmm. suits to the grocery store. Oh, in LAX airport, I saw people in biohazard yes. 
full gear, like hazmat suits yeah. and customs. I was like, whoa. And Maybe you shouldn't leave the house if you're that worried. <laughs> Stay home. I read a study recently. I'll actually put it on the website if people want to read it, where they looked at three factors, and they were measuring what difference it made between states that went to total lockdown and states that did, like Florida, nothing. They were looking at mortality and how much disruption of the economy and education that state did. And they found no difference. If you totally blew up the economy and shut down your schools, the mortality rate was no different with states that didn't shut down the economy wow. and didn't shut down the schools. So it had virtually no statistical impact whatsoever. And it was a pretty massive study, which I'll post and let people make up their own minds about it. But now they're starting to go back that direction again. And I'm really wondering if once you give the government certain authority and certain power, if they just have a hard time giving it back up. I think you're right. I think that is the thing is once you give them the authority and the power, I mean, it's, it's harder to give it up once you've got that. And that's why you hear me tell people all the time on the show, they'll come on and say, well, we're going to court to have a custody battle. And I'm like, you don't want to do that. You want to go sit down and work this out between yourselves. Mm. Do not invite the government into your family. Do not do that. You don't, that's not King Solomon up there. You have no idea what he or she judge is going to do on a given day. Oh, that's right. Because you're dealing with people and that judge could have had a bad fight with his wife that morning or her wife, whatever. And then they come in and that's it, right? Yeah, maybe he's got a daughter whose husband really jerked her around in a marriage or over the weekend or something, and he's coming in there and he's going to get his pound of flesh and you happen to be in the mm -hmm. crosshairs. These are just people. They don't have some book of wisdom. You do not want the oh. government in your life. You don't want to invite them into your family. Bad idea. And, and this pandemic really made me realize that because I think I had a childlike notion of, of people in power. Like, oh no, surely they are trained. Surely they have what's best for us in mind. No, 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 of course. And it's like, no, they're just they're just dopes like me. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they're they're just dopes like me, just trying to do right by them, by whatever forces are being pulled on them at any given time. There is no omnipotent, omniscient government that's gonna take care of you. Yeah, I'm trained in forensic psychology and a good court, a good judge will get a forensic psychologist that will come in and evaluate this family for real and see what these parents are about for real. But trust me, we don't have an x-ray machine looking for assholes. We don't have the ability to see, because they put their best face on. You rely yeah. so much on self-report from these parents. Maybe the kids are straight with you, maybe they're not. We do as good a job as we can. There are no guarantees of how competent people are going to be when you get the government in your life. You don't want to do that. I'm just telling mm -hmm. you. Man, and you've seen everything in your career. What's the craziest episode of Dr. Phil? Oh, man. What you just said, I've said to myself many times. I've walked off that set thinking, okay, I've seen it all now. <laughs> and then I get up and come down there the next day and go, whoop, no, I haven't. Yeah. I thought I had until this bunch came out here. It's astounding to me how people can get out into life and get down in the trenches and find so many creative ways to get off in a ditch. 
it's astounding to me. And the ones that really stick with me, Christina, are the ones that victimize children that don't have a voice. There are so oh. many kids that are four or five years old that if they had the words, if they had the ability, they would just say, will you people please just shut up? Will you just shut up for God's sakes? When these kids live with domestic violence and yelling and screaming, we have now learned that it actually changes their brains. It isn't that they're just upset for a week or it leaves them kind of nervous in life. If you look at the brains of kids that grew up in that versus kids who didn't, you scan their brains and look at them and they are significantly different. Mm, what's the difference? Like the trauma, you mean? Yeah, the trauma, the trauma changes brain? the amygdala, the pleasure centers. It changes the neurotransmitters of the brain, the way the brain talks to different parts of the brain, how they process anxiety, impulse control, depression. It hijacks all of the areas that are involved with fight or flight reaction. Mm-hmm. So they get into a state of hyperarousal. And it changes who they are for the rest of their life if you don't do something significant to intervene. So it's terrible. And that's what upsets me the most with the stories that I deal with. I bet. Because they're so helpless. Kids didn't ask to be born into certain families. Do you think we should have, you should have to get a license to have children? Well, it seems to me we should require some sort of training. We have to go demonstrate competency to drive a car. I know. But to get a marriage license, you just pay, what, two bucks, and they (laughs) turn you loose in somebody else's life to (laughs) go wreak havoc and then procreate. I know. Shouldn't you have to have some kind of parenting class or training? And when you look at what happens in school, Christina, we teach kids how to add, subtract, read, write, maybe. And apparently we don't teach grammar anymore. I thought you got that in the fifth grade, but we teach them those things, but we don't teach them how to recognize anxiety, depression, stress, what Mm -hmm. to do about it. And then they get out there and get married and they don't have any of those skills to recognize or deal with that stuff. Why are we not teaching people this? That is so true because I, you know, I... I got a call. I went to college and I, I did well in college. And I was like, I graduated and with honors and I was ill equipped for the world. I was thoroughly ill equipped in the sense of people don't teach you that, like the emotional intelligence, right? How to recognize feelings, how to deal with them. And number two, the most valuable lesson, which is why I've always loved you, is if you don't take charge of your life, life takes charge of you. And if you don't teach kids that, I feel like that was the most valuable lesson for me is like, oh, no, if you don't do this, actively live, you're just going to whatever comes along, you're just going to take it. And that's dangerous. So I'm actually when I'm talking to you right now, I'm trying to think of like for, for people listening who have kids, like what what can we teach our children? What's the most valuable thing to instill? We look at kids sometimes and we go, oh, they don't listen. They roll their eyes. They don't listen. They may seem like they're not listening. They may roll their eyes, but trust me, if you hear not another word I ever say, they are always watching. 
They are always watching. You can be upset, and maybe you just set your coffee cup down a little harder that morning. They notice that. If you're living your life without passion, you're just going through the motions and dragging along, they notice that. Parents that sell out and do a job they hate, and they come home every day, oh, my God, I hate that job. They're modeling for kids that you grow up, sell out, and do what you hate. They Mm. notice that, and you are the most powerful role model in their lives. We have to model for these kids that you need to be who you are on purpose. You need to star in your own life. And if you don't, who will? Who's going to star in your life if you don't? And that's what we need to teach these kids. Find out what your passion is. And be who you are on purpose. Don't be a follower. Don't be a sheep. Don't get out there and react to what's happened. Be proactive, not reactive in your life. Be who you are on purpose. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Do you do that? Are you who you are on purpose? Because you sure seem like you are. (laughs) Look at this crazy set. Don't you think this is definitely who I am? But it, but it, it, it's a, it's a, it took time. I, I wasn't born that way. And it, it took reading people like you, listening to people like you, failure, trial and error, crippling failure. And then you're just like, dude, what am I doing? If, if I don't take life by the horns, life's going to take me. Was there a moment that you gave yourself permission to say, you know what? This is no dress rehearsal. I don't get a do-over. I'm going to be me. And maybe people like it, maybe they don't. Because it takes a lot of guts to do what you do to get up there. Our number one need is acceptance. Our number one fear is rejection. And you put it on the line every night when you get up in front of people. Right. Well, thankfully, Dr. Phil, my parents rejected me very early. So (laughs) I don't have a false sense. (laughs) Done, dude. I've already lost their uh, opinion, you know. And... uh, you know, I, I I was useless in the real world. So I, I graduated with a degree in philosophy. And then in the next four years, I either quit or I got fired from 22 jobs. I tried everything, everything in the world. And I didn't like any of it. And then I had a boss that he goes, you know, Christina, you're a horrible employee. You're the worst employee I've ever had, but you're funny. Why don't you go to the groundlings? And I said, okay. And that was it. I found my calling. And I put myself through every trial and tribulation just to make this dream come true. I stayed in divey motels. I've had glasses thrown at me and I've had, you know, I've done it all. I've done, you know, like the Blues Brothers with like the chicken wire (laughs) in their performance and all that's reference for anybody listening. Uh, Because of this love of, for me, it's transcendent. You know, I I believe and I never bought this horse shit when people said to me, because I've been doing comedy for 20 years. 20 years ago, nobody wanted to hear a woman really tell jokes. Oh, no, jokes. that Not, had to be terrible. I know, but you know what? Fuck them. And I don't care. And I remember, I, because when you watch somebody who's talented and funny, it transcends whatever shell, whatever meat shell they're in. And I was like, you know what? This is it. I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to do this. And, and what happened was, like I said, I failed at everything else. I had no, my options were none. I'd fucked up my life so completely. And like I said, my parents didn't care anyway, so I'm not disappointing anybody. I got to hit rewind for a minute. How do you get fired from 22 jobs? (laughs) 
what do they fired you as you're coming in the door? You don't look like you fit. Get out. How do you get fired from 22 jobs? Yeah. Okay, so one of them, man, I got a real attitude problem back then in my 20s. One, I was a paralegal, believe it or not, a corporate paralegal. And I, I just messed up. I kept messing up and messing up and messing up. I'm not good at uh, details like that I don't care about. So that guy fired me. I've been fired from restaurant jobs because like, not, I'm not good. I'm not good at taking orders and doing, I'm not good at doing stuff I don't care about. And I think I knew, I was like, I just suck. I just suck at this. I can't, I don't care. And I don't want to make somebody else rich. That made me crazy. So I had a bad attitude. Honestly. What job did you hate the most? What was your worst job ever? Mm-hmm. See, all the bad jobs have great perks. That's the thing, <laughs> is that the worse the job, the better the perks. So the most depressing job I had, I was sitting in a parking box, like a parking lot, and then and there was a booth. I would sit in there, and I would sell parking, right? You think that's the most depressing job in the world? And I would sit in there for four hours at a time, but I loved it because I could smoke cigarettes back then. I smoked, I could write, I could call my friends or whatever. My friends would come and visit me and I'd BS with them. And I, uh, so the, the worse the job, the better I, the, but the worst job for me was probably in the legal field. That was rough because I had to pretend to be a normal person, you know, like I was an immigration paralegal. I was a corporate paralegal. And I was like, I, you know, people's lives were in my hands and I was not, I was not good at that. Yeah. And I dropped out of law school. I couldn't handle law school. Listen, all I could do is comedy, Dr. Phil. This is it. That's got to have been good for material, at least. Yes. I all mean, this failure. <laughs> yeah, you got to look back and think about that. I had terrible jobs, but none of them were interesting. They didn't have any perks to them at all. What were your terrible jobs? Well, one, I was a car hop at A&W Root Beer Stand. <laughs> and... I was doing pretty good until they put us on skates. That's so hard. I got the worst balance of anybody I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, there's shit still rolling down the street from me <laughs> scattering stuff all over the place, and that didn't last very long. Then I had a job working for a surveyor where you stand with the stick, and oh, they're looking at yeah. you through that little thing. And it was in the summer in Texas and Oklahoma, and it was out on a highway. It was like 115 degrees, and on the asphalt, Ugh. it was 145. Ugh. 145 degrees. And I'm Ugh. standing there thinking, there's got to be something better than <laughs> this. Because I'd stand there for eight hours, 10 hours. Right, but, but see what that did to us? Is that we went, there's got to be something better. Yeah, exactly. And by God. Suffering is good. Suffering purifies the soul and it makes you go, you know what? I'm not going to stand for this. There's, I've got to fight. You know, I remember the worst job I had. Uh, my first job, I was 15 years old, Mary Lander Marketing Research. I was actually 14 years old. My stepdad changed my birth certificate because he was a criminal. He's dead now, so I can say that. So I could work in the state of California as a 15-year-old. And I would call strangers. Remember when those old telemarketers? Oh, yeah. And- yeah. Hi, this is Christina calling from Mary Lander Marketing Research. I was wondering if you'd like to take a brief survey about eggs today. <laughs> Go ahead. Do you tell me how many eggs would you say you eat in a week? Three to five, five to six, six to seven, seven to eight. And how do you make those eggs? And did you know that eggs aren't actually as high in cholesterol? It was the, that was horrible. But people took the survey and it would take like a half an hour. I'm like, who are these people? 
That was back in the 90s. People had time for that stuff. Oh, God. Yeah. But see resilience and, and, and suffering. And that's what you've got to, you got to make your kids suffer a little bit, right? Yeah, it does motivate you because I think, okay, listen, I'm going to learn to read. I'm going to learn to do something. I'm going to get consequential knowledge because anybody could have stood there and held that stick up on that asphalt. <laughs> Seriously, you could have gotten somebody with a 45 IQ to do that job. And I thought, I'm overqualified for this job. I need to do something different. I need better placement here. Yeah. Yeah, my dad used to make me work at his forklift shop every summer from the time I was 13. And I would have to answer his phones. And I don't know anything about forklifts. And people would ask me questions like, do you have propane or electric? But by the end of the summer... I could tell you all about forklifts yeah, and pallet jacks and uh, Nissan and does, is it a whatever a shift cider shift or something that was so long ago. When did social media hit for you? How old were you when TikTok and all of that stuff came oh along? Are your God. children into it? Hell no. So listen, I grew up analog. I was blessed to grow up with an analog brain, and then in college I, is when I sent my first email. And then in 1999, when I graduated, I got my first cell phone. And then I found TikTok two or three years ago now. Right. I love the dark side of the talks, like all those, like people, people embarrassing themselves is so amazing. I mean, you know this, you, you, you did a Ugh. national TV show. Why would anybody, no offense to your, to, to like what you do, but like, why would you go in and embarrass yourself on television? I mean, I love it because it's awesome to watch. Yeah, I ask myself sometimes why people choose that particular forum. And the people that are on TikTok, they're not even getting anything in return. No. They're not getting no. advice. They're not getting guidance. They're not getting their problem solved. They're just getting people to watch. I watched a girl on TikTok yesterday. Somebody sent it to me. I guess there's a Sprite challenge now or something where you're supposed to drink a whole Sprite without burping. Oh, wow. I would definitely fail that. Oh, I'll send you this link. Please do. This girl is absolutely gorgeous. And then <laughs> she starts talking. <laughs> Does she talk like this? Does she say she's Josh Safdie's muse? Well, you just have to see it. But I will. I, I can't wait. It's a Sprite challenge, and she drinks the whole thing down, but she goes on quite a journey. I got to admit, it is hilarious, but to what end, I don't know. Are you at least dazzled? I mean, it's pretty amazing that Bad Baby managed to parlay. She claims she makes $50 million on OnlyFans. What? What? I mean, come on. That's am It's amazing. Well, this OnlyFans thing, I've never been on that site, but we had a nurse on the other day that had an OnlyFans site, and she was a critical care nurse or something, no. <laughs> and she said her coworkers found out she was on the site and caused her to quit, and she said, well, I'm making three or $400,000 uh, a month on this site, so I guess I'll give up my nursing job. Is this just the new porn site? I don't know. Well, that's what I thought cuz I thought you that's probably what you've got to do. It turns out they're just taking like provocative pics and they're not even that provocative. Like they wouldn't be taken down from Instagram. 
Really? They're just like girls in like underwear, you know? So I don't know why guys are paying for that. Do people subscribe? Is that what it is? Yeah, there's that paywall. And then there's a second thing where they'll send you videos. Um, but they're not like, again, they're, we, we tried one and it wasn't that exciting. We were like, what is this? You made one or you subscribed Heck no, I would to one? Never <laughs> ma- I would rather die. I would rather pick up garbage than uh, do an OnlyFans. But nah. No, we tried it. Yeah, I think I think it's crazy to I mean, you grew up analog too. I think I think selfies, I want to vomit every time I I I know I have to take some sometimes for for the business I'm in, but I, I feel a deep sense of a shame. And uh, what does that do to us? What's that going to do to children who grow up in just this mirrored hall of like we never saw ourselves as much growing up. Well, no, we didn't. But I do think we have kind of a narcissistic generation now. And yeah. I don't think it's their fault. It's just the technology has taken over, but it's a content-eating machine. So we're obsessed with providing content. But people think, okay, I'm brushing my teeth. I've got to post this. No, you don't. <laughs> I don't need to see you brushing your teeth. I don't need to see you changing into five different tops. And now they're using these filters. And my problem is young people don't, maybe they do now, but I think for a long time they didn't realize that's a filter. This isn't how these people really look. And they compare themselves. And by comparison, they come up short. And so they feel bad about themselves. This is true, but good news, Dr. Phil. I don't know if you know this, but there's all kinds of models now that, and, and there's um, overweight models, and Victoria's Secret has their first Down syndrome model too. So now they're told everything's represented. So you can see everything. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess there is an audience for everything in the world. And I just wonder sometimes if we're putting it in the right frame. I'm not saying that anybody deserves more attention than somebody else, but I wonder if we're putting it in the right frame or if we're using somebody to virtue signal. I think I get resentful when I see advertisers just scooping up the latest like fad of what's like what's inclusive right now it's like do you really care about this particular cause or you just you're just using this to sell product yeah it feels cheap it doesn't feel real you can look at a fast food commercial and if you freeze frame it at any time you can count every cause you can call it diversity or whatever you want but you can't tell me that this company is passionate about everything represented on the screen at that point. First off, nowhere on the screen is a hamburger. Right, right. Because they're not selling the hamburger in the commercial. They're selling acceptance and happiness and inclusion. It's like, hey, come here and eat and look how happy everybody accepts everybody. You go down there and get shit beat out of you. I mean, really. And then when you do see the product, I've never seen one that looked like that. <laughs> right. That There's hamburger's so perfect. like you know, six inches no. tall and it looks no. all great. And then you go down and get one. And it looks like they've had it under the porch for three weeks. <laughs> well, seriously? I, this is the best one you've I got? Know. 
But it's so funny because when did corporations become political? It's like, remember, you just buy a Coke or beer. Beer will get you laid. That was it was pretty straightforward. It was like sex and joy. Right. And now it's like and these other causes that we really don't believe in. I just think there's so much virtue signaling. And if people are really sincere about it, that comes across. People know the truth when they hear it. Yes, I agree. And I think they know when it's not the truth. I agree. I think that's why you're so successful is you're saying things that people, it resonates with them because it's authentic. They know maybe this isn't what you would say in a momming class, but it's what every mother is thinking. It's what every mother is experiencing. What do you talk about in the new special? Tell people. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, so just just so you know, like I the the LA Times <laughs> the writer watched it and she called me and she was like, "Whoa." I'm like, "What is that good or bad?" She's like, "Whoa." She's like, "You're saying things." She's like, "Did you cut things out?" <laughs> She's like, "Well, I I like to see what you cut out." I'm like, "Yes, I did actually." And here's the deal, comedy's job is to find the line. I find the line. And I toured with this hour all over America, red states, blue state, you name it. I went there. I know where the line is. And I think I found it. So I talk about number one, uh, growing up, I I wish I, you know, growing up 80s and now raising kids in today's world and what that is like. And then also, which is absurd because there's so much stuff that like it's it's so different. I grew up, I feel like I grew up in a completely different world and I'm in a space alien. And then I talk about my own parents and I think this is everybody's struggle is you want to do better than what you were given, right? And and it's not their fault. Your parents did the best they could. And then um, I think the truth about motherhood. So anyway, I fell down the stairs getting to my baby in a hurry and that's how I broke my ankle. And see, that's a mother's love. That's a fucking mother's love. (laughs) And nobody tells you this, but being a mom, it's an emotional roller coaster. Like, I go from joy to rage to exhaustion to exhilaration every six seconds, every day. (laughs) And just when I'm ready to throw that baby in the river. (laughs) He smiles at me. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah, they smile at you with those little jack-o'-lantern teeth. (laughs) And you're filled with so much joy, you have crazy thoughts. You're like, "Ah, I want ten more! (laughs) Come on, Tommy, we're fucking tonight! People didn't, I didn't know that I would go from like joy to rage to exhaustion to exhilaration like every six seconds of every day, you know? <laughs> it's so hard. Do you ever take your kids on the road? I do. Yeah, I do. They love it. They don't want to leave the hotel. They like they love just eating candy and pushing all the buttons on the elevator and it's fun. It's great. But I I stay home. I don't travel as much as my husband does. I'm home a lot with my kiddos. So if I do go, I take them with me. Yeah. And they that's love great. it. Well, I just have moms watch this and they see the truth and I I feel like there's a lot of you know, this isn't just the typical special of like, I'm I'm so, I I'm just kind of over the trope of like, let's just drink wine. It's wine thirty. I'm an alcoholic mom. Like, I there is a place for that, but I think there's an even bigger dialogue that needs to happen. You know. Yeah. 
then I just like dick jokes and fart jokes. And there's a lot of those in there too. Uh, this isn't just like a chick comedy show. You can watch it with your husband. So Yeah, of course. Did your comedy change when you got out of LA? Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize like, cause I grew up in LA. I'm an Angelino from the time I was four to yeah. like 45. And I didn't realize what a cultural bubble it truly, 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 truly is. As much as I love my home, I love LA. Yeah. And I moved to Texas and I went to like my first kindergarten party and it was like a boy's <laughs> party. And the, they were like, okay, y'all, here's some cupcakes. And then after the cupcakes, we're going to have donuts and then we're going to have cake. And there's snakes and there's like snakes hanging from the walls for the boys to play with. And like parents are drinking margaritas and everybody, hey, y'all, like just so, so laid back and so normal. And nobody's offended and nobody's worried about anybody's gender identity or like, you know, it, it was just. It was calm, and it was cool. It is calm. We love the people here, and a lot of our friends have moved from L.A. to Texas, and every single one of them loves it. It's not culture shock. It's culture stimulation. Yes. Joe and Jessica Rogan have moved to yes, Austin. Yes, I know you guys know them. I love them. And they love it, but it is different. I wish people would really visit different parts of the country more from LA and realize there is a whole different mindset, different culture out there. Cause it is a bubble. Mm -hmm. it, it is. And I, like I said, I grew up in it. So I was very, I was very sure that this is the right way. And then I, I've always toured all over the country, but there was always kind of in my head, a, 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 I have to admit a bit of a, like a, and us versus them, you know, like, but I'm from LA. I'm, I'm cool. I know what's up. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. No one cares about the stuff we care about in LA. Like nobody cares. I yeah. think most people just want to raise their children and have a Coke and a smile and like, and, and enjoy their lives and get on the river and enjoy barbecue. <laughs> you know. Like, yeah. It's a different life, but Austin is a very sophisticated city. There's a lot of tech down there. Yes. There's a lot going on in Austin, Texas. Yes, there is. And I, I love it. And I, I've been meaning to ask you, um, pork ribs or beef? Uh, I got to say beef. Pork is more work. What? Well, pork is more what? work. I feel like the beef rib, I mean, it comes like this big. I know. They're dinosaur ribs. <laughs> but you got to work That's harder good. to eat the pork ribs. But I guess the pork ribs is a better payoff flavor-wise. But you got to make sure they're done. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can go to County so, Line out there and get a dinosaur rib. That's what's up, County Line. That's yeah. right. I love that one. I like the one on the lake. I take my boys there. Yeah. They lay down with on their bellies on the dock and they poke the turtles and no one says a damn word to them. It's yeah. so funny. And it would never happen in other places in the country. They, you know. Are those the biggest uh, ribs you've ever seen? Yes. I mean, really, I was, they do look like dinosaur ribs. Yes. I've never seen it in my life. Anyway, my cholesterol was a little bit high, and I have a doctor here in Austin, and um, and he, and and I go, but I love ribs. I just moved to Texas. I have to eat barbecue. And he goes, well, okay, you can have the brisket and the sides, and that's about it. Like that's such a Texas doctor thing to say. You, well, you can have the brisket. All right, like I'll yeah, settle on brisket. He'll make a deal brisket. with you. He'll make a deal yeah. with you. Yeah, get out of here. So does Tom like it? Does he like Texas? He loves it. We're thrilled, man. It, it's. It's so it's good for the kiddos, you know. There's so much to do here. Every weekend we go 
check out a different park. They throw rocks. They pull bark off of trees. And uh, I just, I live a smaller life. I think it's really cool. I get yeah. to see bird. I get I get stoked on birds. I've seen a turtle in my backyard. I'd never seen a turtle from forty five years of my life. A real seriously? Turtle. No, I grew up in L.A. Concrete jungle, San Fernando Valley. Yeah, well, there are so, some snapping turtles down there that are yeah. prehistoric. That's for sure. So you grew up in Dallas? No, Nebraska, right? No, Oklahoma and Texas. Oklahoma. Okay. Right. Yeah, we bounced around just here, there, anywhere, but mostly. Oklahoma and Texas, every small town you could think of, because my dad was in the oil business, not mm. in owning oil, but in servicing with drill <laughs> bits and stuff like that. So yeah. we were all around, and I loved it. I mean, I didn't mind it a bit, but no, we were never anywhere for very long, so you learn to make friends. Resilient. Because you're always the new kid. Yep. I, you know what I love about Southerners, too? They're... um. They love to make chit chat. I learned how to make chit chat. Oh, yeah. I never knew that. Oh, chit chat's an art form here. Oh, uh, how's yeah. the weather? People come and they just visit. I have a couple of cowboys that work on my house. Hi, hi, Miss Christina. How you doing? And they say thank you for the visit. They're so sweet. We yeah. talk about nothing. Yeah. How many times the have they told you if you don't like the weather, wait a minute? <laughs> oh my god. Yes. Oh my God, that's the joke. If you don't like the weather, just wait a minute. It'll be different tomorrow. Yeah. In California, they can do the forecast every Saturday. You know, <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing ever changes. Yeah. I learned a long time ago that you were a fellow dog lover, and I knew right then you were my kind of people. I am. I'm obsessed. I love dogs. Oh, I do best. too. What do you have? Well, I've got two that. I did a show on CBS called That Animal Rescue Show. We really mm -hmm. spent a lot of time coming up with that title, by the way. <laughs> it was an animal rescue show, and we couldn't decide what to call it. We said, yeah. everybody's going to say, have you seen that animal rescue show? <laughs> so we just thought, what the hell, we'll call it that animal rescue show. That's a good title. Yeah, and I was down at one of the places in Texas where we shot, and they had some feral dog down there that had eight puppies and they mm. said they're small you should take two and uh i took two of the puppies home i could hold them one in each hand oh. snow white puppies one had blue eyes the other had a blue eye and a brown eye uh. i took them home one weighs 125 pounds now the other weighs about 115 oh my god they're snow white if they didn't bark i would swear they were polar bears Oh, they're huge, gorgeous. but they are the best dogs, I swear. Do they sleep in your bed? These dogs, they're mostly Great Pyrenees. They're just mutts, but they're mostly Great Pyrenees. And they like to go about 50 yards from the house and watch it. What? That's what these Great Pyrenees do. They watch herds. And wow. if a wolf comes, they want to be away from the herd so they can intercept the wolf and kill it if necessary to protect it. the herd. It's in their DNA. So they sleep away from the house to guard it. And if something approaches it, they intercept it. That's a working dog. Yeah, I love it that. Is. And they work as a pair. These wow. two brothers, you never see them more than two or three feet apart. So don't want to approach the house in a skulky way. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get me some of those dogs. 
Ours is useless. It's a little, I have a little Ewok dog, a little Brussels Griffon. Yeah. And one of these purebred, fancy, fancy, dumber than a box of rocks, but so sweet. And she snores. But I got to get me a useful dog. I think that might be the trick. You would love these, but I hope if a wolf comes at our house, it's a very <laughs> slow wolf because these are the most clumsy, slow-footed dogs you have ever But they're sweet. I'll send you a picture of them. You'll like Please. I can't wait to get more dogs. Yeah, you need a couple more. In Texas, you can have all the dogs you want. That's the best part. That this is a very dog-friendly place. Yeah, exactly. We're obsessed with our doggies. Well, listen, I want everybody to know, I want to say it again and again and again, your latest special is Christina P. Mom Jeans. It premieres globally on Netflix Mother's Day, May 8th. And then there's more to this because later this month, you're going to be on Netflix again, which is their comedy festival, Netflix is a Joke. You're going to participate in Amy Schumer and Friends section, which is set to take place at the Hollywood Palladium. Mm-hmm. You're going to be on with some others. So you're just Netflix all over, right? Thank you, Sarandos. Absolutely. Praise yeah. Netflix. I love yeah. it. My husband, his first special ended up at Netflix back in 2014. Yeah. And he was, he was disappointed. We were like, what's this Netflix? What are you talking about? Now look, right? Yeah, I think they're doing a great job. I executive produced Kirk Fox's special that was on <gasps> Netflix. Wonderful. Yeah. I love Kirk Fox. So funny, so talented. Yeah. He's t- he, he's touring with my husband. Yeah, well, I understood he was. He's a great one to be on the road with. He says yeah. it's going great, but I'm a huge comedy fan. I'm a huge fan of yours. I want everybody to tune in. What a great way to celebrate Mother's Day. That's right. With this new special. If you want to honor your mother, <laughs> sit down and watch this with her because it will honor what she's been through in raising you. Trust me. You'll get <laughs> red faced right. a couple of times, but you will have some good laugh. It's a great way to bond with your mother all over again. So, Christina, thank you for taking the time to do this. Oh it really God. means a lot. You know, this means the most to me. This is absolutely a dream come true. So thank you so much. So yeah. nice to meet you. Thank you. Well, you're so funny in the things you do. And again, it's uh, Christina P. Mom Jeans. It's Mother's Day, Netflix, May 8th this year. You don't want to miss it. It's all good humor. You will love it. So tune in and watch it. Let me know what you think. Christina, I'll talk to you soon. I'll talk to you. Thank you so much. Mwah. My best you're to best. Tom. Yes, for sure. All right, so long. <laughs>